Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. men's national team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life, while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger, and don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com slash sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Podcast about the beautiful game. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Jesse Marsh and Charlie Davies, and we have a fantastic show for you today. We are talking about the 2026 World Cup and the schedule that just dropped. We're talking about the Booth Brothers, both scoring, which is pretty awesome. We got Americans securing moves on transfer deadline day, or maybe not if your name's Duncan McGuire. Inter Miami's having a painful preseason, and what's that impact on MLS look like? We're going to jump into that. Potentially, maybe we'll dabble into the Lindsay Horan comments as well. But first, as we do on this show, and I apologize, I'm not in my normal spot. I'm somewhere else. These guys are giving me a hard time. Off camera, we do a little something called Call What You Want's Word of the Day. So, boys, are you ready? Charlie, Jesse, you guys ready? Born yeah, ready. I just want to reference really quick before we get into the game that even though it's not your best hair day, Jimmy, that we're, we're with you 100%. We're with you 100%. Good. I'm trying to stay as positive as I can, especially when I'm on camera. All right. Call what you want. Word of the day is Podosfero. Podosfero. Oh, I got this easy peasy. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jesse. Podosfero. I got this easy. Podosfero? Yes. Podosfero. I got it easy. Podosfero. Can I go first then? I'm okay, going to okay. wait. No, no, no. Look, give me a guess, Charlie. I'm confident right. you have this right. 
and 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 if if we guess the same, we'll call it a tie because I'm not getting this. But it feels Scandinavian, but we already did Finland. Poto Schwedo. I'll say Iceland. I'm going Iceland. Charlie, what do you got, Chuck? I'm gonna go hungry. You were that confident, Chuck, and you were like, I got this, and you're it's not hungry. And it's not oh, Iceland either. Wow. All right, all right. Poto Schwero. Okay, okay. Here's the first clue. Four members of Nashville's ownership group speak this language as their native tongue. Paul. Nashville? Does that not help? Okay. Nashville. No. Nashville SC. Their ownership group speak this language as their native tongue. That could be a Southern Twang. No, that's not. <laughs> Southern <Ooh>. Twang. <laughs> what, what does Reese, Reese Witherspoon speak? <laughs> oh God, okay, Reese okay. Witherspoon. Okay, keep going. Okay, okay, okay. One more clue. One more clue. This is a European okay. country. European country, mm-hmm. whose top division is ranked seventeenth in UEFA's club coefficient table. Ooh, seventeen. <sighs> okay. That gives you almost zero. All right, I'm gonna. I I'm now, 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 I know I'm I was feeling, close before. I'm feeling. I'm. I'm feeling Slovakia. Slovakia. Okay. Not Slovakia. I'm feeling Romanian. Ooh, that's not. You guys are. You guys are kind of close, uh, but no, that's not it either. Uh, Bulgarian. Bulgarian. No, not Bulgarian. Uh, You wouldn't know this, but one one of the clubs from this country wanted me to come uh, after the World Cup in 2006. Uh, I, I, you know what? I'll say this. Here's another one. Ange Postigoglu. I did play in Poland. Uh, Ange Postigoglu once managed in this country. Oh. Um, oh, then it's Japan. Big, Japan. No? Not Japan. Not Australia. It's not Scotland. Not, Scotland, not England. It's Greece. Greece. That's it. He got it. He got it. <laughs> Just yeah, Greece. Just we, we both kind of failed, Charlie. Let's be oh, honest. Oh, God, that one hurt. How how close was I though? For real, I was leading Charlie along. I knew it was oh, Greece the whole time. God, kind of close, Chuck. I mean, you had Europe, you had that going for you. So, anyway, let's get into the show. And our first big topic is FIFA announces the World Cup schedule for 2026. And I think the big news right off the top is that MetLife in New Jersey will be hosting the final. And I have some comments and thoughts on that. And then the U.S. Men's National Team group. Their group stage schedule is set. June 12th, they're going to play in L.A. June 19th, they're going to go up the coast and play in Seattle. And then June 25th, instead of going across the country or in the Midwest or anywhere else, they're going back to L.A., which I kind of love because I'm on the West Coast, so I got no problem with it whatsoever. But those are the big, I'd say, takeaways of this. I will also mention that once – because it goes – you have your 12 groups of four, and and then you have uh, the top two go advance, and the – Eight best third-place teams will all go into the round of 32. So there's a new knockout round. So it takes you eight games to win the World Cup now instead of seven. Then you have round of 16. And then when it hits the quarterfinals, there's no more games in Mexico or the West Coast at all. Everything is either Midwest or East Coast. So so I know the East Coast and Midwesters are a little pissed uh, about how that's all playing out initially, for the for, for especially as a U.S. men's national team perspective. However, they get ultimately get the biggest of the biggest games, and hopefully the U.S. is playing in those. Uh, Jesse, I'll come to you first. What, what are you feeling about MetLife hosting the final? Yeah, I kind of figured that New York was going to be the the location for the final, especially since last time it was in Los Angeles. Um, it kind of seemed like it was setting up that way. 
Um, I had also heard that most likely the meaningful last matches were all going to be played in the U.S., um, you know, and that in some ways the, the U.S., Mexico, Canada ability to sell it all together was part of the package, but that they knew that most of the revenue and most of the, the big, big games would be played in the U.S. So that's kind of how it's played itself out. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a lot of travel for the, for the U S I think that's one of the things that you're always thinking about is, is okay. What is the layout and setup for, for matches and where do you have to go? So a lot of teams will have a lot of travel given that it's in Mexico, Canada and the U S. So, yeah, I mean, it, it sets up to be a physically grueling with the heat, with the travel, with elevation at times, sets up to be a grueling World Cup for all the teams. So it'll be interesting to see how physically teams manage that. I think what's interesting about this is what you mentioned is the heat. Like, why would you consider a location? Because Dallas seemed like it was a nice fit. They, they can control the temperature because it's covered at the AT&T Stadium. And, and then you're going to – I don't know. I think it's just going to le- potentially lessen the final. These guys are already going to be tired. It's their eighth game in 30 days or 29 days or whatever and then you're going to make them play (laughs) because you have to play in the middle of the day that way you know it gets the most people watching around the world I don't know Chuck what what are your thoughts on on the final in New York New Jersey I love it uh obviously being a a east coaster uh I think it's it's great I mean New Jersey, New York, it's the hub of the universe. It feels like that was always, in my mind, the favorite. Although Dallas, I think, had a good shout because of the space it has. Like you said, it, the stadium's brand new. It's beautiful. Um, it can control the temperature better. Um, and obviously, they have they have the space. So it, I thought it was going to go to Dallas just because of that alone. But Come on, you can't beat Jersey, New York, that whole vibe. Uh, the most it feels like it's the most cultural international city. It's easy to get to. So I'm excited about that. Um, um, you know, with the US men's national team playing two games in LA and one in Seattle, I think it's it bodes for them well because of the temperature. I think the climate won't be as bad as if if they were playing in, you know, Miami or Texas. Um so I think from that standpoint, the group stage, it'll be nice for everybody on the West Coast to get a chance to watch the U.S. men's national team. And then the important games, you come out East. So I'm all for it. Uh, I'm ex- I can't wait for this tournament. I'm so excited. I know obviously the first big step is Copa America, and that'll be a, our first true test with this group ahead of, of the 2026 World Cup. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think – and Jesse, I want to get your thoughts on this. If you were leading the team in 26, in terms of where you gain your advantages, you're the host country. So how do you take the most out of that and get the most out of that? I know there's been some talk that the team's going to be training in, in Atlanta and that brand new facility that they're building. And so why would we want to move away from that to go somewhere else and, and obviously not expose the team in guaranteed games around the country, like have one Midwest, we'll have one East Coast, have one West Coast. But I agree with Chuck. I think there's a, a huge advantage to gain by playing in temperatures that are a little bit more moderate and in areas where you know that you could you could take advantage of it doesn't necessarily guarantee you anything but but it does put you in a better position to potentially get results and so i wanted your thoughts on on uh, greg's decision or or u.s soccer's decision to get all these games on the west yeah i mean you know that's what i meant is is knowing that their their training camp is in atlanta maybe they're going to set up a west coast camp somewhere which would make sense um, there's been different teams that do elevation training at different places and, 
and and then they come to the World Cup, the biggest factor will be the heat and humidity. You know, even when you talk about Europeans, when when I coached even at Salzburg and we had to play a, a Champions League play in at Tel Aviv, and it was like 85 at kickoff at 10 o'clock at night, the players melted. The European players are not used to playing in those kinds of temperatures, in that kind of humidity. Um, and, and what you see is just their bodies can't handle it. Uh, often I would think about whether it was playing down in Mexico or whether we went down to Tel Aviv, like Scandinavian players, it's almost impossible for them to manage what those temperatures are like. Then if you talk about Central American, South American, African players, they're a lot more used to, to playing in these kinds of temperatures and, and their bodies naturally can handle it because they grew up there. They trained, trained in that kind of humidity. So that's that winds up the heat is a big factor, but it's often the humidity that zaps the players. So how how you physically prepare yourself for the tournament winds up being a big factor in what kind of success you can have. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see even the lead up to that because most of the players are in a European season and they roll right in from that. What, 10 months of grinding that out, trying to go as far as they can in multiple competitions, especially the best players in the world, usually on the best teams. We're usually at the end of all those competing for the trophies, rolling right into a World Cup where it could be quite difficult. So maybe that plays into the U.S.'s hands. I do want to say that Philly is hosting a game on the 4th of July and it's America's 250th birthday. So that's pretty rad to have it there. Also, uh... It's, it's, it's insane. Dallas uh, is going to have nine games. They have the most. They're hosting nine oh. games throughout oh. the tournament, including, including a semi. Oh. Uh, New York, New Jersey uh, is in, uh, eight games, and they're including the final. Atlanta has got eight games as well. They're doing a oh. semi. LA has got eight. They're going to have a quarterfinal. Miami has seven. They're going to have a third-place playoff and a quarterfinal. Boston, so right in Chuck's backyard, seven, including a quarterfinal. Vancouver gets seven games. Houston Shout out to the Crafts. They did their oh, job. City, Shout out K- to the Crafts. Let's go. Crafts doing work behind the scenes. KC has six games, including a quarterfinal. So shout out to uh, my former club in that area. They have a huge, huge soccer base there. It's a cool soccer fan base, I should say. Toronto, six. Philly, six. San Francisco, six. Seattle, six. Mexico City, five. Guadalajara, four. Monterey, four. Now, some of those cities will also be getting some round of 32 and round of 16 games. But uh, I just wanted to mention the quarterfinals and beyond any big surprises from you guys chuck will come to you first with regard to the schedule anything else that uh, do you think people should be upset about about uh, how it's playing out for the u.s men's team and also do you think we can afford tickets anyway i don't even know if it's going to be i saw kim kardashian <laughs> on the on the on the show i'm like yes i'm glad she can afford tickets but i don't know about the rest of us late you know late people out here well let's address that first u.s soccer you got three former u.s internationals Tickets better be coming. That's all I know. I, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. Whatever They're not need. coming. Hey, they gotta be. Wow. I'll be. I'll be working. Um, no, I, I think the games in Dallas are going to be absolutely brutal. They're going to be. You talked about Jesse the the conditions, the climate. Um, Atlanta, you have the dome. It's a beautiful stadium, so the bends obviously can can close it, make it more comfortable for for teams when they play. But Dallas, that is going to be one of those environments that you get absolutely drained. So the teams that can keep possession, we go back to the old school South American teams, Spain, the, the, the more you chase the game, the tire, the more tired you get. So those teams who can keep possession and make you chase the game and run, those are the teams that are going to go far in this tournament, not the teams that are going up and down, crazy direct, uh, making it a track meet. So look for t- 
the the games to be a little bit slower in, in those instances compared to the games that we've seen as of late where, you know, Premier League had the most goals of all time this weekend. I, I don't think we're going to see games getting out of, out of hand in terms of uh, a track contest. It's also interesting to be thinking about in Mexico, right? Because now you're talking about elevation. When you're talking about Monterey, when you're talking about Guadalajara, Mexico City, the the playing in those games in the summer, the heat, the elevation, Mexico City's known for the smog. Again, for for European for European countries, those games will be brutal. So, you know, I mean, this will this will be interesting. I, I mean, I remember talking in '94, talking to guys like um, Marco Echeverri and talking to John Harks and Jeff Agus, and obviously the, the U.S. team had such a positive experience in that World Cup. But this was the biggest uh, challenge for all of these teams was the travel, the heat the demands of what it's like to play in, in, in such a, such a hot and big country. Mm. And now that you had Mexico and Canada, I mean, the other thing, Jimmy, is when you start rattling off how many games now that they've expanded the field and how many games are in each city and how many games overall, I mean, it's going to be exciting. There's a lot, there's going to be so many games. There's going to be a lot of new countries in the world cup. It's going to have a whole different kind of makeup and feel than what it's had for, for eternity. So um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, what what kind of teams can sneak into that third place uh, role so they give them get into the knockout phase? You know, you would have to then uh, again like the U.S.'s chances of getting some momentum going, winning some matches, getting themselves into the knockout round, being a a seeded team in Group A. I think there's a lot of things that you you would look at and go. The U.S. should be able to position itself well to to get some results and push themselves to to go far in this tournament. I also have to correct myself. Dallas does AT and T Stadium has a retractable roof. So I guess I'm curious: is there a a certain temperature that it needs to get to for those roofs to close? So it makes it, you know, because it'd be pretty unfair if one stadium's like, no, we're keeping it open for all games versus you know, if Atlanta decides to close it. So I wonder if there's a temperature threshold to say, hey, we're going to close the roof to make it not so hot. But I know Miami does not have a roof. Boston, it can get hot and humid. That doesn't have a roof. So uh, temperature will definitely play a factor in this in this World Cup. Oh, there's no question about that. And I'm glad you reiterated, Jesse, that there's a lot of games. That means there's going to be a lot of tickets. I think the only one that we'll be able to get them for are probably Madagascar versus Liechtenstein. But you never know. You know, I mean, it could be. Hey, we're going to have full coverage of that match here on Call It What You Want. <laughs> yeah. Madagascar versus Liechtenstein live from the stadium. All right. So, so Jesse, uh, because of this game that I mentioned before in Philly on July 4th, the 250th anniversary of the founding of our country, if you were coaching the U.S., what would you say to the guys that we were playing in that game? What would you, what would you say to the guys in that moment? Because I feel like it would four, be overwhelmingly emotional. Year. <laughs> yeah, give us your best Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> no, and Abraham Lincoln, that's too late, man. That's like a century too late. Um, you know, All right, give me your best the, George Washington. Go. One of the, yeah. Thomas one Jefferson, of the, let's go. <laughs> one of the coolest experiences I had was we went to South Korea in 2001, December of 2001, to play against South Korea right before the 2002 World Cup in Korea and Japan, and I was on the team then. And we actually took a Chinook helicopters 
from Chechu, which is a small island they call the Hawaii, off the end of the peninsula, all the way up to the DMZ to to, to meet with our military that were uh, stationed there in the DMZ. And we met, met a lot of the people there. We actually went across the border into North Korea, flew back down. And then we had a, and this was, again, if you remember this timing, this was also three months after 9-11. And so we had a general named General Schwartz come down. And, and if you meet a four-star, he was a four-star general. If you meet a four-star general or you meet a president or a vice president, when you meet them, they give you a coin. So I have a coin that, that they passed out to us right before the match. And the, and the, the general gave a, like a pregame speech to the team. And one of the things he said is, gentlemen, wins are important to our country right now. And, you know, if you can capture that feeling of after 9-11, it kind of sent chills through all of us. And, and, and so, you know, you do have these moments where I think as a country, we have a great history. Um, we have great pride in what our history is and opportunities to show that, to exemplify that in the way that we play our sport, I think is really important. So, yeah, I mean, that'll be interesting for sure. Little, uh, you know, to continue the story, we actually went out and lost one nil to Korea. <laughs> but they <laughs> had a you, pretty good. Did you have to give your coin back. A pretty good team. Hand back your coin. I got yeah, to meet no. President have- Bush. He didn't give me. A, he didn't give me a coin. He didn't, huh? No. no. What the I hell? I, I've been. I, I got gypped on a coin. Different, different presidents. So yeah, yeah. You get a little coin. Pretty cool. Yeah, you did get gypped, Charlie. I, I feel. I, got, I feel bad. First I got break and call what you want. When we come back, we're going to talk a little Americans abroad. So don't go anywhere. Okay. Picture this: It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I'm Jimmy alongside Chuck and Jesse, and we're getting after it. And now we're talking a little Americans abroad. Who stood out for us this particular weekend? Before we get there, though, let me uh, mention some notable results. First, Josh Sargent scores once again against Man of the Match in Norwich's 2-1 win over Coventry. He played the full 90. Congratulations to him. And then Gio Reyna makes his first Premier League appearance for Nottingham Forest. That was pretty sweet. Uh, I actually can't wait to get into that. Hopefully you guys picked him as one of your standouts because I did not. Luca De La Torre grabs another goal. Look at this guy. And an assist in the man of the match performance against Osasuna. Way to go, LDLT. Weston McKinney, Timo Weah, involved in Juve's 1-0 defeat in the Derby de Italia. They ended up losing, uh, as I just mentioned. Taylor Booth scores a hat-trick as Utrecht beat Volendam 4-2. His younger brother, Zach, opened the scoring in the game for Volendam. And uh, that's pretty rad to have brothers scoring. In that's awesome. That's game. awesome. So, Jesse, I'm coming to you. Who's who's your who really stood out for you 
this weekend and why? Well, I, just, I want to reference Taylor Booth really quick because I saw him a lot when he was with Bayern too. Uh, he would sometimes come and, and play against either Liefering or we would have a – in the FIFA break, we'd have a, a match against him with Salzburg. And I'm glad to see his career taking off and, and him doing well. And I think he's got big potential and he's a really good kid. Um, you know, so I'm happy to see him doing well. And that's pretty cool that you're playing against your brother and you both score in the match. That's pretty special. So, um, but I, I, I watched, you know, here in Italy, the big match of the week, no doubt, was Juve at Inter. And, you know, typical Italian style, um, you know, Italy or Inter really on the front foot um, and pushing the game hard uh, until they got the lead and then protecting the lead and playing a little more defensive and, and locking things down. And it winds up being a one nil victory. Uh, Tim Wade helped a lot when he came on the pitch. He was energetic. He, he was going at guys one V one. He was involved in the attack a little bit unlucky not to get a little bit more out of it. And I thought overall Weston had a good match and you know, the way that, that Juventus play it kind of, they, they want to make sure that they are always protecting their goal and not giving much away, and they're good defensively. But knowing Weston's personality, I know he wants to get out on the run a little bit more. I know he wants to use a, his aggressiveness a little bit more. Um, but I thought he was good in the match. In, in transition, he was their most dangerous player. Uh, he set up a play where uh, Vlahovic should have scored um, in the first half, and that would have given him a 1-0 lead. And I think then the game could have looked a little bit differently. But – you know, um, I think even reading some of the articles here about Weston is there's a big appreciation for the way he's playing this year. I think they're talking about his fitness level. They're talking about his productivity around uh, the box and, and helping set up more attacking plays. And then also his responsibility and intelligence to do to help out the team defensively. And you should I mean, it's crazy when you watch him in the match. He's in he's in the defensive box. The next moment he's in the offensive box. He's chasing. He's running. He's winning duels. He's taking throw ins. He's winning duels on, on on corner kicks and free kicks. And so, you know, he's playing a big part in the success of, of Juve this year. And it's it's great to see him playing at such a high level. Now, Jesse, I have a question to follow up on that. What, what do you think Weston's ceiling is? Because, and he could be at his ceiling now, it's just more about consistency. But what, what, what's his next step? Is it just taking on more responsibility and really knowing when to pick your spots? Or, you know, I, I, I guess we could say this about a whole bunch of players. You know, like what, what's yeah. Luka Modric's ceiling? You know, obviously he's hit his ceiling, but then how do you maintain that ceiling for a long period of time, I guess, could be the next challenge for him? Because he's playing great this season. I agree with you. One of the one of the the when when you're a player with flexibility, it's it can be a real positive, but it can also mean that you never really carve out exactly what your position and role can be within a team, and that sometimes can mean that the the coach just when he needs somebody, he knows that he can rely on Weston to use him wherever. Now he's played mostly the right eight, but when they play their three five two or five three two, Weston plays like an eight ten, and then Rabio on the other side plays almost like an eight six. So. They give Weston a lot of freedom to move around, and I think that's what he likes, right? He likes to be able to roam, to find the game, to understand tactical responsibility, but to use his athleticism. And I think, yeah, when you ask what's his ceiling, what's next, I think it's just continuing to play a big role in the team, to keep himself fit, to become more and more of a leader, um, to, to take more responsibility in how the game plays out and not just 
focus on exactly what his role is, but how to also, you know, be the guy in the team that, that wants the ball, that wants to be the game changer. And, and he's really close. I think he's played a big role in Juve this year. And, and like I said, I think that's been a big part of why they've been successful and why, why Weston's fit in so well with Allegri and with the team and everything else. Where, where I saw Weston start to mature with the ball in possession and create those dangerous chances in the final third is it goes back to the game against Iran in the world cup where he plays that switch to Serginho Dest and then Dest plays it across for Christian. You're starting to see from that point on, you've noticed when he opens up and he's able to play those diagonals and able to kind of spring wingers into position or make the right decision on the pass in the final third, his late runs. I think he's always had that in, in his, in his toolbox is making late runs out of midfield and, and arriving on time. Set pieces always been pretty strong because he's good in the air, but now we're starting to see him be, have that composure on the ball and making the right decision on the right pass when the, the moment calls for it. So like you said, being consistent, staying healthy, and then as he continues to sharpen the the final pass, the final ball, and and the final finish, that that's where he can fulfill his potential. So, Chuck, let's roll right into who's your pick for the week weekend. Well, we touched on it a little bit to start the show. It's Gio Reyna making his debut in the English Premier League. Uh, how, how often is it, are, are we talking about his health and his his his? participation with Dortmund and he so he makes the move comes to, to the Premier League to a team that I don't know if we all probably not too many of us thought it'd be the right fit for his skill set at the moment you, you but he's in search of playing time and he got 12 minutes coming off the bench and 21 touches 11 for 11 in in passing in the final uh attacking third 17 for 19 passing uh there 11 carries I, I think it was a it was a decent strong showing from from Giorena to to kind of get his feet wet uh, in the English Premier League. He came on for Ilanga, who is more of a more direct runner, more of a more pace to him. So, I think fortunately for Giorena, Bournemouth ends up getting a red card. So Billing uh, tackles uh, Hudson Adoy from behind, stamps on him. He was just trying to get a yellow. But the way he did it, instead of kicking his feet, he stomps on on the heel, and you're you're gonna get the red there. So, the game opened up for Gio. So you're able to to have a little bit more time on the ball because obviously Bournemouth had to sit and and try and protect uh, the point. So, um, not not too bad of a game to come into. Uh, but yeah, you, you obviously you want to see more more playing time, more involvement, but. Um, a decent first showing uh, from, from Gio Reyna. No, I love that shout. I think what I was impressed by was I saw enough in that 12 minutes, Chuck, that he needs more time. Like, I want to see more of him in this system. And exactly. it would be fun if he didn't get replaced or didn't replace Ilanga, that he could be on the field with Ilanga and maybe Hudson Adoy on, on either shoulder. Unfortunately, that means he'd have to take out their number 10, Morgan Gibbs-White, which probably won't happen. But I wonder if there's a... There's room for him to play or, or if they have inverted wingers at some point or, or something to get him on the field with all these talented players. At the same and that's time. my point, Jimmy. It's like how, if if you know that's the structure, right, are you just that desperate to get out of Dortmund? Because he, he could play 12 minutes as a sub at Dortmund. He's, he was, right, right, right. It's either zero or 12. He was getting substitution minutes of five, six, seven, whatever. But to make a move, in my opinion, you're making a move to get 60, 75, right, right, 90. Right. You're not making a move to get 
six more minutes or 10 more minutes. And I know it's, it's, it's a long road. You get the whole second half of the season, but in terms of the options, the competition for the places, who, who, who is a clear, like Hudson Adoy is finally coming, coming good. It looks like he's playing to, to his level. He's starting to at least Gibbs White's never coming out. That's an England international. Not yeah, but Gibbs White, Gibbs White can play wide too. You know, so, right. so that means true. Ilanga has to come out and he's, he's been their, their best playmaker outside of, of Gibbs White. So, uh, and then uh, obviously Awoni is, is not going anywhere. That's, that's your target striker. So it's either Dominguez and Yates, right? And those are two sitting mids and it, it's just a really difficult, I think, uh, proposition for Girona because you have such a short amount of time. In terms of getting those 60 to 75 minutes. Yes. I agree with you on that. Hopefully he can break in. Now, Jesse, I, I this is maybe getting into the weeds a little bit about Gio's performance, but what I really loved was that he just was playing simple. He didn't, you know, sometimes when he plays for the U.S., you can sense that he's trying to do too much. You could sense at times when he's with Dortmund, because he was trying to regain that respect or that trust from Edin Tursic, maybe he's trying to do a little bit too much with the ball. Here, he's like, I'm just going to get it, keep it moving, get it, keep it moving. And I actually thought that was pretty refreshing, that that when he plays at that, it ultimately opens up space for him to, to do what he wants to do. But some, you have to simplify your game for that to happen as he starts to find the rhythm and flow of how his new team plays and the pace of this league as opposed to what was happening in the Bundesliga. But I actually really enjoyed seeing Gio just play, play as simple as possible and keep the ball moving. And then when he had pockets of space to do something a little bit more complex, he took those opportunities. So I, I, uh, I'm excited for him. I was actually pleasantly surprised at how he played, Jesse. Yeah, I thought so too. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you get that winter transfer, it's not so easy to acclimate. And then as the coach to also how to integrate them into the team in the right way with the right rhythm of everything else that's that's happening with the team. But I think Gio was intelligent to go into the match and, and try to be a facilitator of the ball and and ball movement and possession. Um, and, and listen, I've never met Gio, but... Everything that you hear about him, whether it's from people that have worked with him, have played with him, have coached him, it, he doesn't lack confidence. You know, so I'm, I'm, I feel good that he'll get himself into the team, that he'll integrate into training and show everybody how talented he is, that he'll go there with the right kind of mindset and work ethic. And that over time, as, as the weeks go on, and by the way, Nottingham is likely to be in position where they're going to need results and they're going to need good performances. And if Gio can do that, if he can provide good performances and week after week continue to play the way that we know that he can, then he's going to earn his way onto the pitch and take a bigger and bigger role into the team. So in that sense, maybe it is the right place for him. You know, it's not, we talk, I talked more about the kind of football that I'd like to see him play, but if you're playing in the Premier League and you're helping a team be successful, that's a big statement on your overall quality and confidence and, and ability to get the job done. So I think, again, I think Gio can do that. I think he can he can fit in well. Yeah, very well said. And uh, I'm now going to go to my pick, Taylor Booth. And Jesse mentioned him earlier. He had a hat trick, his first ever hat trick for Utrecht in the air to BC. Three goals and their 4-2 win over Volendam. He had six shots overall. And uh, he was doing it on the other side of the ball, too, a couple tackles to really put his imprint uh, on the game. His first league goal since November 12th of 2022. That was uh, a little while ago, but it's also cool to see his brother score. Pretty nifty goal as well. Nice quick turn and uh, hitting that. So the Booth brothers clearly demonstrating their talents. And I know that you had mentioned you had been around him before, Jesse. And so I actually wouldn't mind hearing how you think 
his floor. Let me say what his player profile is and where you think he could maybe fit into the U.S. men's national team picture moving forward. He's a, he's a crafty, quick, clever, uh, pretty pretty fast, um, and and a technically gifted player that sees final plays. So you know when we played Bayern a couple times, Bayern two a couple times, they played like a four one four one, and they used him as an inverted winger. Um, but he can play on both sides, and I think even in the match they they slipped him kind of into one of the central ten positions as well. So he has a lot of flexibility to play in these these uh, attacking midfielder roles. And he likes to come inside and, and then find ways to make last, last, uh, last plays. And then he's really good at hooking balls um, into the corner. So, you know, he's a good finisher. He's an active player. He's a confident guy. He's good on the ball. Yeah, I think um, – and again, you know, when you send players to, to Holland, I always think that's a good opportunity for them to get playing time, to show their quality, to – to fit within a, a system that appreciates developing young players. So I, I expect Taylor to, to continue to get better and better. And again, like I said, I didn't mean to steal your thunder, Jimmy, by it's fine. Mentioning those two guys. <laughs> but he's just, a, he's a, you know what? He's a good kid. And, and one of the things that when I've been in Europe and, and I've run into a lot of these players at different places and just kind of said, hello and keep going and, you know, actually, actually, now that I think about that, I, I, I had met Gio once on the pitch after a match um, when Leipzig played Dortmund. Um, you know, but you just try to, as as being a little bit older person, I and and still knowing what a challenge it is for me and my family to come to Europe and how lonely it can feel sometimes. I just tried to always be positive with those young players and say, listen, we're all proud of you. We're all watching you keep going. Like it's really difficult here. You feel alone, but the, but the rewards will be massive for you, not just in your professional life and in your football life, but personally you learn languages, you learn new cultures, you have new experiences. There are things they can take with them for their entire lives. So Taylor was one of those guys where, you know, every time I saw him, you know, it's not so easy. The team's warming up and all the German guys are kind of hanging out and, and his German was good. But like, you know, it's always a little bit of a challenge to to fit into the group, to be accepted, to to feel like you're 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 one with everyone. So and sometimes like Taylor at the time might have been 17. So sometimes these guys come over. Charlie, uh, you came over when you were young. You know, it's not easy. It's not you, easy. You told so me you, before the show, though, you were going to steal a thunder and talk about Booth before. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I'm so happy when when I see these guys do well, you know, because I know the sacrifices and I know the challenges, right, that they, that they go through. And so when you see them doing well, it's just it's really good to see and you get really happy. I always find it interesting when these young Americans get to these European clubs before they're 18 and you know, they're involved in the academy before they get to the reserves. And so do you see a difference with some of these Americans? Like, did Taylor Booth stand out to you in terms of his his brain, his football brain versus, you know, uh, I'd say most American kids when they go over, it's, it's their athleticism, how yeah. quick they are, their reactions maybe. So... Germans in general, they like the young Americans. And it's it's because they say that the Americans, they have this can-do attitude and they'll train hard, they'll work hard. If you criticize them, they'll come back the next day and give even more. And this like relentless mentality and the pursuit to be the best they can be, they think that they think that's a very American quality, which I, I, I think it is, but we don't even think of it like that. Like this is what it is for us, right? Is like no one can the more someone says you can't, the more you're gonna show everybody 100%. you can. Right. And so and we're we we've learned to take criticism. Maybe it's some of the coaches we had or just the the realities of the world that we live in. So 
Um, I do. And then, you know, I think that they also see that players are intelligent and that they can learn tactical systems and, and that they can adapt pretty well to, to what the culture is like. So, you know, I think that for, for the most part, a lot of the young Americans have, have done well. For, and listen, you can go back to John Harks. You can go back to Claudio Reyna. You can go back generations where these guys came over and they had to fight their way and, and then prove their quality and show what they're worth. And I think that over time, that, that, that personality trait that I think Americans have, that almost arrogance, that like the, the, this, this desire to be the best and to show everybody that they can do it, um, I think that that does separate us from a lot of different kind of cultures in the world and it helps us be successful. When you speak about Taylor Booth and all these players, Jesse, I, I kind of just sit here thinking, man, I wish Jesse was my dad. That would be awesome to have Jesse as my dad. He'd be a great dad. Well, I didn't listen. I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say that I become a father figure, but it's kind of the way it goes, you know. I mean, I had kids when I when I met Taylor. I think my daughter was about the same age as him, right? And so, of course, then you know the conversations I'm having at home with my daughter about how this is rewarding, and I know it's not easy. Like you're having some of the same conversations with these players, and you'd have and to yeah. be 150 to be Jimmy's dad, though. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I mean, listen, yeah, it's sad. It's a sad statement on, on where I am in my life, I guess. But yeah, uh, it's all good. It's all good. All right. We got some big fixtures coming up this week. We talked about the past. Let's talk about the future. Wednesday, Nottingham Forest is hosting Bristol City in the FA Cup. Then Saturday, we've got Union Berlin taking on Wolfsburg. So potentially Brendan Aronson versus Kevin Paredes, who's getting a lot more minutes for Wolfsburg. Sunday, Volendam is taking on PSV. And then Sunday, AC Milan versus Napoli. That's fantastic. That was on Paramount+. Plus. And then Nice versus Monaco is happening on Sunday as well, 2.45 p.m. Eastern. All right, we are going to take our next break of Call It What You Want. And uh, it's always a lot of fun, so don't go anywhere. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There was a big article on The Athletic from Meg Linehan about Lindsay Horan in an interview ultimately with her. And she made some comments and the one that was really cut out and got everybody's attention where she said that American soccer fans, most of them are not smart. Now I took that necessary step to go read the full article. And there's some context there as to just that fans where she currently plays in France, a little bit more educated. They grow up with the game. It's part of their culture. And, and, and she get it, it, in, in that context, it makes a little bit more sense. However, those words did come out of her mouth. And, and as captain of the U.S. women's national team, I feel like she could have maybe phrased that a little bit better. And Charlie, since you're mm-mm-mm, I'm going to let you go first here because I feel like you're ready to chat. What, what are your thoughts on Lindsay Horan's comments here? I, I, one, 
I understand where she's coming from. I grew up in New Hampshire. Okay. So in terms of football knowledge, global soccer, global football, do do does the vast majority of, of people know the ins and outs of the game like we do as professionals? No. But if you tell me that most America at this day and age don't know the game, sure, everyone thinks they're an expert and they don't know it like some of these <laughs> players and managers, but a lot of people know the game. A lot of people, and it's only growing. Everyone tunes in to matches on the weekend. I can't tell you whether it's Serie A or English Premier League, Champions League. People are watching. People watch the game. People know. Even my mom. My mom watches games all the time. Every every week, she's like, hey, what'd you think about that game? Let's hey, bring her on the podcast. Hey, let's hey she's on. like, Le- Leche, Leche really let you down. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, thanks, mom. Um, but so from that standpoint, I know where she's coming from, but it's like you got to know better. This is this is the country you represent, who you play for. The, the, the stigmas that we have to battle all the time and to go out and say that because I play in France, everyone here knows the game. Like I play in France too, and not everyone knows the game. I, I've I've lived there and I've I go to all the restaurants. I tried to immerse myself within the French culture, learn as, as much French as I could, eat from all these different restaurants and try different things. And a lot of the people I came in, in contact with, yes, they they watched the team play because that's that's typical. You're going to support the team that plays in the, in your town, your region, your city. But that doesn't mean they know the game. I can't tell you how many people are asking me, you know, ask me questions about because they don't know. So. A blanket statement like that, we know at this day and age, you can't, you can't, you can't make that type of statement. It's it disrespects a lot of the people who are in New Hampshire, Iowa, Montana, who actually watch the game, who know it, who 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 are big fans of it and supporters of Lindsey Horan. So, um, from that standpoint, I know the context. The the statement was taken out of context in some some form or fashion, but realistically. Um, I think our country has come a long way and, and it's, it's pretty disrespectful and hurtful to a lot of people that do care. So, so Jesse, and, and I, really well said, Chuck, it's, it's interesting. I, yeah, I'm kind of blown away that, that someone of her, it's not like she's 21, right? She's kind of just emerging into the game. She's been around and, and she's our captain. And I feel like in, you're for better or for worse you're a messenger of the game and and so when you just casually dismiss a fan base the one that supports and loves you and buys your jerseys uh interest, interesting now now she did make mention jesse in this article that people just take the word of the pundits that they hear on tv and that's why they think they know the game so that's kind of a dig at some of the punditry which includes julie fowdy who is an absolute legend for the u.s women's national team so so I don't know where you want to go with this, but I am kind of curious as to when you hear punditry say some things, Jesse, that you know isn't necessarily true and it kind of ticks you off. Because she she seemed sensitive there and it got a little defensive for whatever reason. I don't know what she was triggered about in that particular day, but but I don't know. Go ahead. I want to hear your thoughts on this overall. So I, I wound up going and reading the article as well because I was trying to get context because my first feeling was, okay, this is a response to something. Right. And then when the Julie Foudy part comes up and, and some criticism of her in different ways, you know, I don't want to sound prudish because I, I know what it's like to be on the other side and have everybody have an opinion or what feels like everybody have an opinion on you and who you are and how you do things. But 
you know, there's ways to have responses that are that can that can not be so uncouth, can be so rough, you know, because she started she started like sort of going off with different swear words in the article and and attached too much emotion to what what the topic was instead of just now discussing what her experiences are and 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 what she why she does things the way she does them. And I think the way to always try to change dialogue is through respectful conversation, right? And and for me either she should pick up the phone and call Julie Foudy and if she wants to have that kind of conversation, then she should have it direct with Julie and or do it in a clever way where in an article she represents herself in a very positive way and all the things that she's been able to achieve and who she is as a person and as a player. And then she can find clever ways to still be directed at whatever she thinks is part of the discussion that's being created around her. But this now winds up being something that is going to draw only negative attention, right? It's not in the end, it's not going to reflect well on her or going to make her feel better. Right. It's going to, in the end, make it more more complicated for her. She's going to have to address more these questions more often. And it just there's a combination of it being a little bit naive, not very professional. And by the way, I don't think that she's like that. Right. Whenever I've seen interviews of her and I've and obviously when you watch her play and the way that her teammates like her and I don't think that this is really who she is. But I think it just it, it, it tapped into an emotional nerve that made her react in a way that I think is not reflective of actually what she is. The whole breakdown of her emotion towards Julie Foudy and saying just because Julie Foudy thinks a certain way, which I don't think she's right. Now, all these people think they know the game. You can have disagreements. That doesn't mean Julie Foudy doesn't know the game. She's a legend. She's an icon. So she feels a certain way. For whatever reason, she sees the game a certain way that Lindsay Horan doesn't. That's fine. But you can have a dialogue. You don't have to attack her and all the people that are listening to Julie because Julie's an expert. She played the game. She's won a World Cup. She has the right to voice her opinion. And, and if she feels a certain way and you don't agree with it, that's okay. Because we don't all agree. You think Pep Guardiola agrees everything that Jurgen Klopp does or vice versa or you know all these top managers in the world or top players? There's all disagreements and, and philosophies. And I think this is one of those things where it's like just have a phone call, have a conversation because th there's no need to have it be so divisive. Yeah, I think what I, I would add to this, if I had to extrapolate how this is going to go, she's going to get booed the next time she <laughs> plays for us. And that's going to have her have an, another emotional reaction. Why are we getting booed? I don't understand, you know, and now, or she should understand where it's coming from, but, but it, it I, yeah, this is, I don't know, this is a rabbit hole that she really wanted to go down and, and this is going to follow her around for a while until she scores a big goal for us in a meaningful game and everybody loves her again. And, and, but I don't know how long that's going to take for us to get there. So I'm very curious to see how she manages this moving forward, how U S soccer potentially manages moving forward. And, and uh, Emma Hayes, now that she takes over as coach, you know, how all that's, that's going to, will that Jimmy, it Jimmy, let me bring, so Charlie, let's bring up, Charlie said something about me about a while back. Right. And, and, and I didn't think it was fair. So I on got his podcast. Number. <laughs> yeah. Was it on this podcast? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
And so I called him up. I got his number and I called him up and I said, hey, Charlie, I heard what you said. You know, let's talk about and, it. And, wait, hold on. Like, and, and, and Charlie is peeing in his pants at this point. You have to change your underwear, Chuck, after you. No, he was good. It was a good conversation. (laughs) And listen, I said, like, here's where, why would you say that? Here's where I'm coming from. What's your response to this? By the way, you and I have both been through a lot of the struggles of coming over to Europe, trying to represent uh, American soccer, trying to do the best we can in an environment that's not always the easiest. And, you know, and at the end of the conversation, I think we had we had we came together and we understood each other. Mm -hmm. I didn't take by the way, I didn't take the things that Charlie said personally, but I wanted to at least have a conversation to walk through what he said, what my feelings were. And then at the end to see if we could at least understand each other. Yes. And that's not so difficult. That's not so difficult, right? But, you know, you just got to pick up the phone, I guess. How, how long before it went from, like, how long? It was awkward for a little bit, I assume, between you two. <laughs> no, some, it, it, literally, no, it literally wasn't awkward at all. All right. Now that's, it is. That's respect. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right, we're done. We're done talking about this. We're going to take our next break of call if you want. When we come back, we'll do a little – Deadline day moves to give some grades here on some of our players in our player pool. So don't go anywhere. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's another installment of Call It What You Want. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davies and Jesse Marsh. And we're getting into transfer deadline day moves for the U.S. men's national team in our player pool. We're going to give some grades, as it were. We're all going to uh, – we could probably just whip through it pretty quick. But Gio Reyna, boys, and, and I want a grade, A through F. Gio Reyna completes his move to Nottingham Forest. We already talked about how he performed in his first game against Bournemouth, 12 minutes, and I actually thought he looked pretty good. I was excited, and I want to see him get more minutes. However, to Jesse's point, I don't know if this was the best fit for him in terms of playing style and kind of where they are in the table. We've talked about this a little bit. So, Jesse, I'll come to you. What's your grade on this move? And I guess now you have a little bit of insight since you got to see him play a little bit. I mean, obviously, it will all depend on how much playing time he gets. Um, uh, but I believe that he can he can show. I believe he can show. So I'd go in the end. Um, it's not the easiest team for him because he'll be defending more than he would probably like. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, he'll be fighting for, for results every week, but I'll give it a, a B plus. Oh, get out of here. Jesse, no way. What? Get out of here. A B plus. If he plays. If he plays. If he plays. He plays. And he, and he, and he showed in the he first well. match. I think, of course, oh. if he plays, he's in the Prem. It's a better league. Like, of course, the team doesn't play the way I would like him to play, but yeah, this could be this could be good for him. Jesse's what do you got? Nice. Give me what you got. All right, give me what you got. What, right. do, what do you say for that then, Chuck? What's your grade on that? I, I love the positivity. Uh, I, what I'm gonna say is it's a C. It's a C move, and why I say it's a C and an average is because okay. He's going to a new situation with a new manager, short amount of time to prove yourself, but at least he feels like he's starting from a clean slate. Where at Dortmund, it seems like his his 
his time was over, that Terzic didn't really believe in him, wasn't going to get the chance no matter what to play. So you feel like I'd rather have some chance than no chance. So I get that. He's going to the Premier League, better better league. Um, the, the, the difficult part is there's a team, there's players ahead of him already in the pecking order. He doesn't have much time to break in. There's no preseason to prove prove yourself. And you're on the back foot because the team and the, where they are in the table. You got to play a more direct style. We know Gio is so creative. It gets time on the ball. I just don't think they have the time on the ball for him to do that stuff because they have to play so direct and in transition and counter, which is not his game. He's not a counterattack yeah. player. No, um, so a C. I mean, I, I always no, got so, good grades. So B plus for me is not that great, you know? So. <laughs> True. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah I, I want to say, I want to say B minus because that feels negative with the minus. But if I say C plus, it feels like he's on the up and up. So, so I agree with you, Chuck. And I agree with you, Jesse, as well. I mean, it's all going to be determined on playing time. If, if, if he plays a lot and obviously has an impact, that grade's going to go up. But in terms of like the initial move, I agree with Chuck that, that a C probably feels average to good. C, I guess. Average to average good. To average good. To good. Average exactly to good. right. Average to good. It's an average to good move. It's an average move, but it could become good. What I like is that he got out of that Bruce Dortmund situation. He needed something different, and regardless mm-hmm. of where he went, and, and he has that now. It just would have been cool to see him go to a team that maybe had a chip on their shoulder. Not that Forrest doesn't, but but like I was thinking Las Palmas in, in La Liga, where they're on the up and up with Pimienta as as the manager, and then or or Bologna uh, would be a good shout, I think, in, in Serie A. Um, under Tiago Mota, I think they play a style that would really fit the way that he likes to play the game and how okay. he sees the game. Yeah. So there are a couple of situations that would have been pretty good for him to land. And, and uh, but Georgie Mendez, his new agent, uh, has connections in certain areas and they they leverage those connections. And so hopefully yeah. it plays out and becomes a win win for everybody. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, I'm in the B minus C plus range. All right, let's talk about Duncan McGuire's loan move to Blackburn Rovers. Uh, apparently it's not done yet because of a clerical error which means that somebody didn't do their job and should probably be getting fired at this point. So so let's say it does go through. I don't know. I kind of give it an F overall because it's just kind of looking bad. More for Blackburn than than for Orlando, who are just like, yeah, we're just trying to help our player out yeah. who wants to wants to make the moves. But uh, it's not a good look. So I guess an easy F for fail here would be the way to go. But let's say it does go through. How, how do you like this move overall, Chuck, which is our resident number nine for Duncan McGuire? Yeah, I, I would actually prefer to not go through, to be honest, I, I think Duncan McGuire has a better future if he were to go to, let's say, an RB Salzburg, um, to a club in a top division, smaller league, where they have the opportunity to play in Europe, where they're the team that has more possession because where he needs to develop the most, he's got the raw skills. But with, when teams have possession, that when they carry possession, they hold it, and they need him to pop up in different spots, be useful, hold hold up play. I think those are things that he, we know he's strong at. I want to see him develop the other parts of his game, um, playing in between the lines, uh, making good runs, which he typically does already, but playing in tight spaces and playing quick. That's where he's going to gain the most, um, and I think the the – the championship is just so hectic and chaotic, especially if you're with a team like Blackburn, where you're there is no real style. You're you're losing. You're you're in the bottom of the the the, the table. You're in the bottom half. So 
I'd rather see this move not go through and go to a better club situation where uh, the, the teams are playing a little bit better football in, in terms of uh, being a little bit more dynamic than than what you get in the championship with the clubs that are at least uh, in for his services. So uh, I would I would be okay with it. So I'm gonna give it a D. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was gonna use a really bad joke. I'm gonna save that one, but I will say that. Uh... What's interesting is that when you're a player in MLS, when you're a player in MLS and you have this opportunity to go to Europe and it becomes pretty real, that's all you're thinking about. And that's all – it's, it's hard yes. for you to think, I want to go back. And, and, and I know it's easier to leave MLS, or at least it feels that way, than it was when we were playing back in the day or, you know, back in, when Jesse and I were both playing in the league. It, when you have that interest, it, it was like a now or never. But now it feels like, especially with our younger players, okay, if you don't go in this window, it, it's a good possibility you can go in the next one, which it didn't feel that way. So, so I can still feel that, that, that hunger and thirst and desire for Duncan to be like, I'm out. I want to go. It doesn't matter what team I play for. I just want to get out. And, and I hope that he ends up, to your point, Chuck, uh, in a situation that actually benefits his skill set and his player profile. All right, Jesse, was I'm going to come to you. Was it though, that though. way when you were playing in NASL, Jimmy? <laughs> yeah, when I was going out with uh, Beckenbauer. Beckenbauer, yeah, yeah. We'd go the co- out would the Cosmos let you leave, or yeah. or no? You you were locked in. <laughs> no, they were they were pretty cool. They, they want us to be. Must out be on nice, the Chuck. Must be nice to be so must young. Be nice. uh, must be <laughs> exactly, exactly right. <laughs> so, um, so one other transfer news is he he and Horvath actually secured a permanent move to Cardiff City. I think the the word permanent is key. He's not going on loan. He's going to be there for three and a half mm. years. And we wish him the best uh, as he helps another team try to get promoted into the Premier League as he's done with Forrest and Luton Town in consecutive seasons. But I want to get your thoughts, Jesse, on Paxton Aronson. He, he moves from Eintracht Frankfurt on loan to Vitesse. Vitesse is on the bottom of the table in the air to DC. He didn't play this weekend, which makes sense because he just joined the team. But, but how big of a move is it for him knowing how the Aronson brothers play? And, and he just wasn't getting those minutes at Eintracht. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he... What, he what do you grade? grade? What do you grade this move? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, I have to give a grade, huh? Okay. Yeah. I'll give it a B plus. <laughs> I like that now. I like that. I love that. I love no, that. I mean, I think it's... A, I actually think it may be even higher because it's... A, like I said to you, the, for me, the Dutch league represents a development league. It's a, it's, it's a league where they believe in young players, where they have young coaches and the... And there are many clubs that specifically their identity is about developing young players. So I think that um, Vitesse is a is a is a good good club. Um, yeah, they're they're not at the high end of the table, but you know everything about the Dutch league this year I think is a little bit um, all over the place in terms. You know, obviously PSV has been so good, but Ajax is coming on strong now, and and so there's there's a lot of good competition. There's a lot of good teams. There's a good level of play. I think their their quota is like I think their fifth best league in the world right now. I think they're actually above France for the European quota. So, you know, I think he'll, I think he should play. I think he'll, he'll, he'll have to fight for his playing time, but I think he'll get on the pitch and it's, it's a, it's a league where he'll be tested every week where there's, there's lots of uh, people in the stands that are passionate about football um, and the, and the way that the game is played, I think is good for him. It's, it's a, it's a open kind of football. It's, it's up and down. I think his flexibility to play multiple different positions, his ability to finish off plays uh, and still find ways to score goals and get assists. Also, I think he can he can benefit the uh, Vitesse in a good way, and I think he'll establish himself with that team in, in, in all ways. I think this will be great. So I'm excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, I'm very curious to see if he follows the Ricardo Pepe route, which is 
you know, German club loans to a Dutch club and then the Dutch club, or he goes to another Dutch club after that, after kind yeah, of Luca impressing. Luca too. Luca De Torre, yeah, he went uh, from, what was he, a Heracles, and then moved. His team got relegated, to, so similar to the the scenario that Paxton's going into. Again, a team that's not great, a lot of playing time. You develop because at the end of the day, you're playing first-team football. You're going to develop. The reason you go to Europe is to play at a higher level, but to play. That's where you make mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. gains. And so for him, he's got a chance to kind of be behind the scenes. Frankfurt, they have a top team, learn see the see the the culture the training expectations the methods now take all that what you've learned in a short amount of time being in europe and use it on the pitch so I, I i love this move for him yeah i love it as well could turn into an a maybe if he goes and plays well and helps Vitessa in a positive way we'll have to end up waiting to see also i wanted to give an a for that move for ethan horvath as well i think that's a big one for him and hopefully he can break in to the first team for Cardiff. All right, we're going to take our last break of Call it What You Want. When we come back, we're talking a little Inter-Miami and are they damaging their brand, the MLS's brand, by being kind of bang average on their preseason tour. Don't go anywhere! Welcome back to the stretch run of Call it What You Want. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davis and Jesse Marsh, and we've got a hot topic that has triggered our very own Chuck Wagon Davies because Inter-Miami have decided to show off their shiny new product named Leo Messi and this world tour. And uh, they went down to El Salvador, which interesting choice, but uh, had a 0-0 game there against their national team that took on FC Dallas in Dallas. They lost 1-0 there. Then they went to Saudi Arabia, lost Al-Hilal 4-3. Then lost to Al Nasser 6-0. And then went to Hong Kong where Messi didn't play and basically insulted and disrespected the whole city and country. Because of that decision, Inter Miami ended up winning and beating the Hong Kong best 11 4 1. But Messi's only played 203 minutes throughout this tour. People are paying big money to watch him play, and he's not playing all that much. Chuck, take it away. Lionel Messi, at the end of last season, broke down. So, had the amazing League's Cup run. They win the tournament, they qualify for CONCACAF Champions Cup, and they're already into the, the round of 16, I believe, because of that win. So, that's a success from that standpoint because the season prior to him getting there, they were absolutely horrendous. So it ends on a high. And they get Tata Martino. It feels pretty good. You got some good pieces. So heading into next season, you just want everyone to be healthy. You add Luis Suarez, old. People are questioning his knee. And they go on this world tour. And I don't expect them to win every game. I don't expect for all the players to play every game. But you are carrying the MLS badge with you. And all three of us have played in MLS. All three of us care about MLS. All three of us want to see MLS continue to grow and be one of the best leagues in the world eventually. And that's going to take time. But you finally have this matchup that you've kind of coined the last dance. Messi, Cristiano. Cristiano's injured, and it seems like Messi picks up an injury. But either way, you know the Saudi Arabian League is trying to compete with MLS, trying to pull players from the same leagues who want to leave Europe. So ultimately, this is a big, big battle of who's got the best league. And and it, it didn't really matter in terms of a result. If you won one nil, you lost one nil, and it was cl- but you want to keep it close. You're representing MLS. A lot of people in the league still aren't really up to date with MLS, don't really know too much about MLS. And here you have Messi's team taking on El Nasser, El Nasser, and it was an embarrassment. I, I was embarrassed watching it because they were completely played off the pitch. And I know it's preseason. I've been in part of these games. 
sometimes the motivation's not there. Sometimes the legs aren't there because it's preseason. You're getting back to fitness. But this was men versus boys. And and to see the owner of Al Nasser, to see Cristiano Ronaldo kind of laughing and making a mockery, the, the goals that, that Al Nasser was scoring, I mean, the, the goal that Laporte scored from a free kick in his own half over Drake Callender, like, come on. The, the, this is what this was really disappointing, and it really irked me, as you could tell. I I know it doesn't mean too much in terms of it means nothing when you're talking about competitive playing for trophies, but it means a lot when you're talking about representing a country, representing Major League Soccer. So I was really disappointed at the product that I saw on the pitch. Wow, flamethrower! He's upset. He's upset. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you. I think that these are. Big moments to showcase what our league is all about. And whether they want that responsibility or not, that's just part of it. Kind of similar to Lindsay Horan's comments. Whether, you know, she's the, she's the captain of the national team. She's, she's speaking for more than just herself, right? So I think this is another demonstration of something not going right. Maybe great intentions, but uh, not going right. And, yeah, the Al Nasser game in particular. Just, as you mentioned, the images of them laughing and the goals that we're giving up. And, and uh, Jesse, we've been a part of those. But um, still, I mean, you still want to put your best foot forward. And, and I feel like this, this could be working against Inter-Miami in particular. Yeah, I mean, listen, professional sports for me is always a balance between doing what's financially uh, viable and then doing what's in the sport, for sport reasons, the best thing to do. And so maybe this trip leaned a little bit too on the finances um, because, you know, everything from the travel to where they were playing to, you know, then trying to get the team prepared for training and what the facility's like and everything is so new for everyone every day that, that it often in those moments can feel like football takes a back seat. But this was, this is always the case. I mean, we went with Leeds to Australia. We trained on some of the worst pitches I've ever professionally been on in my entire life and the demand I put on the team every day was to make sure that no matter what when we step on the pitch the focus and the energy is to improve and get better because we know that uh, the games are coming quick and they're coming strong and that we have to be prepared and and to be fair if you set the tone as the leader that way typically the players respond appropriately so you know for me it's all it, it I think it's hard in, in sport to just turn it on and turn it off. The, we know the best players can do that. Messi can probably do that, right? Um, but I think the the whole mindset of a mentality of what it takes to prepare the right way so that you give yourself the best, best chance to be successful and then how you manage that in a preseason environment is very important to the start of your season and, and often the overall success of where you go within that season. I'll, I'll also say, Jimmy, because I'd love to hear your take on this, it's an indictment on how bad Inter Miami's back line is, and and goalkeeping <laughs> goalkeeping's been so questionable from Drake Callender. Yeah, he can make you know the occasional blocking the shot, being a shot stopper, but decision making, positioning, that's all. It's all very questionable, and I think that showed him not getting any playing time in the January camp. But this back line is so makeshift and poor, and I don't understand how. Inter Miami could get to this point when you have Busquets and in Leo Messi and Luis Suarez, you have guys who aren't going to really defend. So mm -hmm. you, you yeah. have to have guys yeah. who are going to be def straight up defenders, bulldogs who are willing to work, and and you're not getting that right now. Uh, yes, I do think there's going to be some investment, 
there, or there should be. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of 4-3 games that they might be on the wrong side of. But if I'm Tata Martino, I'm looking at it going, okay, I've got three guys that definitely are not going to defend. Busquets, he'll help, and he'll be in good positions, right? And he's very good in, in holding the ball under pressure and helping you transition from defense to attack. So he's going to be in and around, but I don't think we can rely on him to to be like covering box to box, right? So yeah, you're gonna have you have to put so much around them. I already think they had one significant injury to one player they were counting on. I can't think of his name at the moment, and just a, a really valuable piece, I think, to that puzzle. But yeah, there's a lot to get into, and I'm sure we'll talk Facundo, about it. Miami. Yeah, Facundo Frias towards ACL. Yeah, yeah, that's an, towards again, ACL. that's an attacker, that's a big loss. not a, not not someone who's defending. I get it. I get it. But somebody that's still going to make runs because Messi will make some, but he needs people to make runs in advance of him to, to, to open up some space as well. And I don't know if Suarez is going to be doing it. There's a lot to unpack here with Inter-Miami. But, but if I'm Tata Martino and I'm thinking about how I want my team to move in te- within the team shape and how, where we want to press, it's got to be really difficult when you got three guys that uh, probably aren't going to do too much heavy lifting in that side. So I wish Tata Martino the best because you do have to have a certain type of player and player profile to, to carry the water for, for the other guys so they can just really worry about going forward. And I played with Preki, so I know, and I love Preki, but but he was one of those two where you just didn't want him to waste any energy defending. You wanted him to spend all of his energy going forward. Well, look at and the when Argentine you have three or four of those team. guys. That's true. That's true. It was like, yeah, all right, Rodrigo we're, going, we're going to work our ass off for Messi. Messi, we're going to win this one for you. You don't do any work defensively. Pop up in the right spots, and I know you're going to take care of us when you have the ball at your feet, but... You have to surround the team and with structure and guys who are going to work. Otherwise, you're going to have too many people taking plays off. It's not going to be successful. I don't know how much gam and tam and green eggs and ham you can have to build you know, around this guy. I don't know if the MLS roster rules are going to handcuff them from actually going to get who they need to make they that happen. They traded their best defender to, to Portland, Kamal Miller, for, and, they, and they've done nothing. They didn't replace him. Yeah, I mean, if you let that guy go, I don't know. Clearly, they had a plan in place. I don't know. I don't know. We'll probably have a special episode just on Inter-Miami at some point when they're bottom of the table 10 games into the MLS season. Oh, hold on. Beckham's calling me once again. Yeah, Beckham's calling you. <laughs> you. You can have a heart-to-heart like you had with Jesse uh, yeah, prior to yeah. starting this podcast. Yeah, I just, I just sent him your number. Max, I just sent him your number. Feel free to call. <laughs> yeah. the day. All right, that's it. We're done for the show. Thank you for listening and watching. As always... And we'll see you very, very soon. Let it. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.